that delicious? And the fellowship was good. I enjoyed the fellowship. Corey was about to talk our arm off on that men's table down there. Enjoyed him saying, hey, we solved all the world's problems at our table. I don't know if y'all did. We had time to spare on it. So, But uh, anyway, good to see everybody here today and a good crowd for Sunday afternoon. Thank you for staying for it. And uh, let's take our Bibles, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And uh, forgive me for not wearing a jacket. I was sweating really bad in the earlier service, and my daughter's freezing to death, so we decided to just shift my jacket to hers. <laughs> so she's warm and I'm cool, so that, uh, pardon me on that, but uh, I am thankful for God's Word and how it instructs us. And um, I was reading an article uh, this past week, and um, a fellow wrote on the priorities of the Christian life, and there were a few thoughts, and I jotted a few notes down from some thoughts he brought out. And I want to share some of those with you. And then um, uh, on seven priorities uh, of the Christian life, and I uh, found a few more uh, from Scripture. And um, I, I'm not going to say, I, I will say I do believe that the first one I'm going to give you is, is the primary one. Uh, where the others fall, I think, are constantly moving about in the level of, of priority. But they are all things that I believe that the Bible tells us we ought to have as priorities in the Christian life. Um, I talk a lot about sometimes, especially when I'm uh, around people. Um, in my life, I envision uh, all the things that I'm involved in. I envision them on a punch sheet, a uh, check sheet, like a to-do sheet. And in my mind's eye, I, I see those things shifting in priority. For instance, I love to eat. Uh, barbecue ribs uh, that you can tell by looking at me <laughs> uh, and uh, so brother Harold makes some really uh, I'm sorry a fellow in our church who shall remain nameless but sitting halfway back on this side uh, makes some really good grilled ribs and and really when it when they're the ones that are sitting in front of me they're my favorite and and for grilled ribs they're my favorite uh, but there are some other places that do smoked ribs and when those are sitting in front of me, those are my favorite. And so uh, I say that kind of humorously, but the truth is our life uh, sometimes will shift in priorities depending on what we're, what we're dealing with. There are some of them that should not ever change, but there are others that we are constantly trying to evaluate from Scripture, and I use that as a silly example. Uh, but we want to try to always evaluate from Scripture and find out what are the, what are the orders of priorities in our lives. Uh, I was in college years ago, and the president of college got up and made this statement one time. He said, priorities never conflict. And I thought, boy, that's an odd statement to make. What if you have a lot of different priorities? And the truth is, what he was saying is you've got to learn to put them in order of importance and that they'll never conflict with each other. Uh, so let's look at Psalm 90 in, uh, just for a, uh, uh, a way to get into this in verse number 12. Uh, the psalmist writes, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so uh, I want to use this as kind of a challenge to us. And really the goal of our Sunday afternoon services has been to offer very practical helps to come to God's word and look for its wisdom uh, day to day in our lives. You know, things that we can put in our lives into practice today. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, 
excuse me, seven things. If you have a pen and you want to write these down, that's fine. You're not going to bother me if you're taking notes. In fact, I encourage that sometimes. Some people do better if they listen first and then go back and write them. I know some people, their minds are better doing it that way. Uh, but I would encourage you in this that at least take time to go back and re-listen to the message this afternoon, and hopefully it will be something we can put into practice in our lives. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And uh, we're going to um, look down in verse number 31. And um, I will say this, that the highest priority, the, the top priority that can never take second to anything else is our relationship with God, our personal walk with Him. That, that ought to be the, the very top of the list, and everything else comes under that. And Scripture for that would be uh, Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's first. And all these things, he says, all these things shall be added unto you. And he was speaking of what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat, uh, all of that type of thing. Uh, so, so we have Scripture. The highest priority is our walk with God. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 31. Paul writes, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, which we've just done, or whatsoever ye do, that kind of includes everything else, do all to the what? glory of God. So our top priority is that we live with the idea that the glorifying of God is of preeminent importance in our life. And I want to put it this way, that we need to value glorifying God above our personal gratification. Uh, we oftentimes will ignore the opportunity to glorify God and bring glory to Him by saying, but I enjoy doing this. Because of that mindset, oftentimes we have sin in our lives we're not willing to deal with because we enjoy it. <laughs> it's too much fun. We don't want to give that up. And we do that at the detriment of glorifying God. Sometimes it may not be a sin. Sometimes it may be uh, the prioritizing of our, our schedules. Uh, we may decide, you know what, I'd rather go over here uh, on Sunday morning and take the boat out to the lake and go have fun than to be in church. Uh, you see how we can, we can make this principle hold true that the priority in our lives, the top priority, the number one thing, is that our relationship to God, our, our purpose of glorifying Him in all that we do must be the top priority. Now, under that will be all of these other six things, and they may adjust depending on uh, how God has your life arranged, but they are all priorities that need to be considered. So the first one is that we need to value glorifying God above our personal gratification. It's not all about us. It's not all about what I like to do, what I want to do. Sometimes, well, actually all of the time, it really is about, is this glorifying Him? By the way, if that becomes our criteria, it's going to change an awful lot of things in our life, isn't it? It might change how we talk to our neighbor that we don't like all that much, <laughs> or that, that uh, enemy, that, uh, or somebody that's done you wrong, and we have a tendency to snap. It might be at a moment 
we're even in our own families, husband to wife, wife to husband, parents to children, children to parents. Are we glorifying God in all of these things? That is the preeminent thing. And we need to value glorifying Him. That needs to be our heart's desire. Um, Brother Kevin was talking a little bit ago at lunch of a teacher that he used to work with and how she was so given to teaching. She was passionate about what she was teaching. And she would go out of her way, above and beyond, and, and just would put everything she had into it. This is how we need to be about glorifying God. That it is the passion of our life. Uh, the Bible word is zeal. That we have a zeal for godliness. That we have a zeal for glorifying Him. And we need to, to make that a top priority. Number two, uh, look with me if you will. In uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter number 23. Number two is we need to have... A, we need to value uh, or have a focus more on becoming something than we do on doing something. More on becoming than or something than on doing something. Uh, when I was in college, uh, two different colleges that I went to uh, put a huge, in fact, a top priority on service to God. And I'm not discounting that we need to serve God. There certainly uh, is that principle of Scripture. But they did that at the detriment of everything else. They did that at the detriment of walking with God. They did that at the detriment of glorifying God and, uh, and you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did that at the detriment of all else. And can I say this, that we live in a time where if we're not careful, even in our own personal time that we study Scripture, we will focus more about fixing the outside, what people see. We'll come to Scripture and we'll say, I'm worried about how do I appear to somebody. It may be our attitude. Well, how does my attitude appear to somebody? I may, I may bite my tongue and not say certain things because I'm, I'm worried about what people may think if they hear me say that. I'm careful about the things I watch and the things I read and the things that are uh, part of me um, because I'm worried about what people will think. Can I tell you this? That's the outside. And instead of focusing on becoming something inwardly, and that is what the Bible talks about, about being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Look with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 23, verse number 28, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've used it numerous times. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees in verse numbers 27. He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful outward. So again, their focus was where? Their focus was where? On the outside. And God doesn't condemn them, by the way. He does not criticize them for their outside. But what He criticizes them for is what? What they are on the inside. He says, Well, and you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also are outwardly appear righteous unto, what's the next word here? Men. That's, that was their concern. How did they appear before men? So he says this, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And so we need, to, we need to put a priority in our lives. I'm not saying that we don't focus some on the outside. I think we do that. 
but it ought not be at the expense of the inward condition. In fact, I have learned this over the years of ministry, that if I will put my focus on the transforming of my heart by God's Word, the outside seems to kind of take care of itself. All of a sudden, I don't have to try to clean up the outside. The washing and the purifying effect of God's Word being in here washes it for me. We begin to glorify God in doing that, which is our top priority. So we need to value becoming more than doing. It's interesting that a lot of times in our preaching, most of our preaching in our churches around the, uh, the world today are on what we know. Uh, we try to educate people. We talk about prophecy and we educate. Uh, we talk about doctrine and we educate. And we need to. But we do it so much that we focus on almost all knowledge and almost all doing, all, all service. And there's very little that we do in our preaching about the heart. And can I tell you this? There's only two things that will change a man's heart. God's Word and God's Holy Spirit. A preacher's not going to change your heart. A church or an organization is not going to change your heart. But when this book does its work in our hearts, and when the conviction of the Holy Spirit does His work in our hearts, we are transformed. And that needs to be a priority in our lives. That needs to be one of those things that we pursue and we long for and we hunger and thirst for it. Not just that we clean up the outside so we look good and people look at us and say, boy, there's a godly person. Because the inside could be as rotten as could be. We've got to be so careful of that. All right. Um, number three. Number three. Matthew chapter 25. Just over one page. And uh, we need to value stewardship over ownership. We need to value stewardship over ownership. And by that, what I'm talking about is not necessarily our, our, our money, although it does include our money, but everything of value that God gives to us. I'll tell you this. Our life, we could call it this way, our time is of great value. And we are given stewardship of that time. I can either say, I own that time, it's my time, and I can do with it as I see fit. Or I can say, no, I am a steward of that time, and I need to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, so that I can glorify God in it. We oftentimes neglect stewardship, and we claim ownership. We do that with our material goods, we do it with our attitudes, we do it with our actions, we do it with our time, we do it with our, uh, our amusements, we do it with the work that we get involved in. We tend to think, this belongs to me, I will get to God when I have time. Until then, all this is mine. What we need to do is say, all of it is His, and I better be good stewards of it. Look with me in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 15. Uh, for the, uh, back up, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own service and delivered unto them his goods. Let me ask you a question. Whose goods were they? Whose? Not the servants. Okay? They're his goods. Verse number 15. And unto one he gave, the five, gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another other two. 
But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained five beside, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now notice this. The fruitfulness of the servant and the faithfulness of the servant brought joy to his master. And by the way, can I say this? That holds true in our lives. Our fruitfulness and our faithfulness which are linked, bring joy to the master. Verse 22, he says, He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been what? Faithful over a... What is it? Are you all with me? You all sleeping? We had a good lunch, didn't we? Everybody... That's been faithful over what? A few things, I will make thee ruler over many things, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That sounds almost like the same thing he told the first one, isn't it? Can I tell you this? We learned a valuable principle here. It's not about how much you produce, but your faithfulness to produce it. God chooses to put some men in churches that will probably never run more than 10 or 15 people. I've got a very, one of my dearest friends in this world I grew up with is in a town that probably that church will never get over about 50 people. Other people are put in places like New York City or uh, large cities where their churches could be several thousands of people. What gives the reward is not how many, but how faithful. Notice in verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. He was not a good steward, was he? So there's something we need to understand here, that everything that God gives to us, He entrusts us with His stewardship. Everything. That's our material things. That is our life. Or let's say it this way, our time in this life. That is everything that God has given to us. It belongs to who? Him. My truck does not belong to me. It belongs to God in the bank. But primarily to God. My, my clothing, my time, my children, my family, they belong to who? God. Now I have a choice in that. I'm a steward over it. I can be either a faithful steward or I can be a foolish steward. Each of us make that choice. Now, I want you to also look with me just by way of driving this point home to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12, and let's look in verse number 20. And how are we doing on time? I think we'll be able to get through it. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 20. Let's back up a little bit to verse, let's go back to verse number 16. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, What shall, what's the next single letter word? I do, because 
I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down with my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds to me like this guy doesn't think that what he has belongs to God, does it? Who do you think this guy thinks this stuff belongs to? He thinks it belongs to him, doesn't it? He takes ownership of it. Verse number 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. One of the great priorities of the Christian life is to realize that we are stewards in all aspects of our life. We are not owners. We are sojourners. We are on a pilgrimage. We are not home. These things are not things that we found our life on as our foundation. They are things that God has entrusted us to use to provide for our families, to be able to work and establish the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. you ever thought about this? The fact that you have a job and you can make money frees you up to pay your bills from the cares of this life so that you are able to serve God. All of that is stewardship. The job that God has given you, the health He's given you to work it, the money that comes from the job, all of that is entrusted. Our time, our family, the children God gives to us, our possessions, all of it is stewardship. Let's not take ownership. It all belongs to Him. Number four, we need to value investing over spending. We need to value, value investing overspending. I think that's a good monetary principle, but that is not what we're trying to get across here. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, investing rather than spending. I can take my life and I can expend it with great effort to accomplish whatever this life can do with its little bit of time that it has on this earth. Or I can make sure that I am investing my life in others so that they can continue that work long after I am gone. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Paul says in verse number 1, Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me. Well, right there we see that Paul has transferred the things that God had instilled in him, he has transferred them to who? He's transferred them to Timothy, hasn't he? Look what it says. And the things that thou hast heard. Now he's talking to his son Timothy, in the son in the faith. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Paul said, I have taken what God has given to me, and I have invested it in you, Timothy. I have mentored you. I have brought you along. I have, let's use this word, I have discipled you. I have taught you in doctrine. I have taught you in the, in the principles of God's Word. I have invested in you. Now notice what Paul says. The same 
This stuff that I have given to you, the same, commit thou to what? Faithful men who shall be able to what? To what? Teach others also. Paul said, I've given something to you, Timothy. I want you to take it, go find some faithful men and give it to them and make sure that they're men that will take it and give it to somebody else. Do you see the difference between investing in our life or spending in our life? I can go and I can give my life to reaching people with the gospel, and I think we all ought to be involved in that. But along the way, we need to learn to invest our life in someone else and help bring them to a place where they feel like they can go out and share the gospel. I was sitting in a a, a meeting in Texas, uh, probably been 15 years ago, it was a, a meeting on sharing the gospel. It was a, what they called a soul-winning seminar, soul-winning marathon uh, uh, conference. And uh, went out there and had some good preachers out there. They brought in a missionary from Mexico, very well-known minist- uh, missionary, had a very large ministry down in Mexico. And he got up and preached during that soul-winning uh, time, one of the evenings. And he made this statement. He said, nowhere in Scripture are we supposed to disciple anybody. He said, it is up to the convert to seek out discipleship. And I thought, brother, I don't know what Bible you got that from, but it certainly was not my Bible. In fact, doesn't the Great Commission even tell us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever thou hast commanded, I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. We don't want to just spend. We want to invest. We need to find somebody. It may be a young person. It may be somebody close to our age or maybe even older, but maybe as a younger Christian. And we need to mentor them and train them and teach them and encourage them in God's Word. We need to invest in people. Number, whatever we're on, number five, I think. Number five, we need to value that which is important over that which is urgent. Eisenhower, I think it was, made this statement years ago. Usually, that which is important is not urgent. And usually that which is urgent is not important. We have learned somehow, or or maybe unlearned in our ministries, to focus on the unimportant and to not focus on the important. And as a result, many times things become urgent that really are not important. If we would deal with the things that were important in, in Scripture, in priorities, it would help keep things from becoming urgent. Look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14. In Mark 14... And uh, let's look down, oh, verse number 3. I love this story. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, 
very precious, and she brake the box and poured on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whomsoever ye will, you, uh, ye will, ye may do them good. Whensoever ye will, may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. We see two things pictured in here. We see a need. The need was to help the poor. But we see something that was important. And the important was the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ for his burial. And sometimes we get those things confused. Sometimes we don't rightly understand the difference. We neglect the one for the other. And can I tell you this, that there are things of Scripture that are important that we need not neglect. Our time that we spend with God daily ought to be something we guard. How often we allow something urgent to take its place. It's more needful for us to be walking with God daily. Paul Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, which he said is far better. But he said, it's more needful that I stay with you. Paul was willing to sacrifice something that he felt was urgent. I need to go on and be with the Lord. Something he was looking forward to. For that which was more important. And can I tell you this, that when we focus and value the important things more than the urgent things, usually it will create a sacrificial uh, environment in our lives. Usually we will have to sacrifice something for it. So I want to encourage us in this, that we value that which is important over that which is urgent. Number six, we need to value relationships over productivity. This I cannot stress enough. Uh, I was, I, when, when I was in college, the stress and the, the priority was on performance, getting things done, getting things done, staying busy. You were considered spiritual if you only got four hours of sleep a night. I, I, we laugh at that now, thinking, "Boy, that sounds ludicrous." But that was that was that was the, it, that was what was going on. Well, I, I, I spent 17 hours on the bus route this weekend. How many did you spend? It's all on performance, all on doing something. Well, I saw 423 people saved last month. Okay, where are they? I don't see them in the church. Productivity. And we neglect the relationship. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in life, I was sitting in a, in a Sword of the Lord conference a number of years ago, and uh, a, a preacher was there visiting. He had uh, been, a, uh, been away from the, the church that was hosting the conference was his home church. And he had left that church, took a pastor to another church, and was pastoring a group of people. 
The Sword of the Lord Conference came, and he brought this group of folks uh, from his church to come to the Sword of the Lord Conference. One of the offerings they took, they asked him if he would to come forward to the platform and to pray for the offering, to take up the offering. And uh, he was way, way, way up in the balcony, in the top back part of the auditorium, and I was sitting down on the ground floor, and I watched him. They're making announcements while he's coming down, and he came down, walked over, got up on the platform, and he prayed, and they began to take up the offering. Everybody's shuffling, everybody's moving, they're getting settled for the message. And I watched him as he walked back to his chair, and as he came across the front of the balcony, there were two young ladies that were sitting there, probably in their early 20s, maybe late teens, and the only thing I could tell is they must have said something to him as he was walking by. And he was walking at a pretty good gait. He was walking pretty quickly. And uh, I watched as he looked over at him and kind of saw him and, and waved at him as he walked by. And he got about two steps past him, and he stopped. He turned around. He walked back over to him. He shook both their hands, and he stood there during the offering talking to these two young ladies. When he was done, he went back up and sat with his people. Simple story, but I learned a valuable, valuable lesson. There were a couple folks there that obviously knew him. They had greeted him. And to be honest with you, he wasn't unpolite, was he? He turned, acknowledged them, waved at them, but he did not show interest in them. I went back home that Sunday, and I called our staff. And we were busy. Man, our ministry down there was busy. Wow. And there were many times that I say to my shame before Sunday morning service that someone would come to me and say, Brother Greg, can I ask you a question? And I would say, can we get together after the service? And I, God convicted me of that. I thought, here's somebody. I had a, a man come to my office one time. And God had dealt with him in Sunday school. And I'm getting up there praying and getting ready for the 11 o'clock hour. And he came to my door. I opened the door and I'm, I'm praying. I'm distracted. My mind's on the service. And he's standing there in tears, grown man. He said, Pastor, God is sure dealing with my heart. I said, Robbie, that's great. And I shook his hand and I said, man, that's great. Why don't we get together after the service? And he thanked me and went downstairs in hindsight. I needed to take the time to deal with that man. That service could wait. Because three months later, he came. we were riding out of town, and he was in the car with me. He said, Pastor, he said, God was really doing something that morning in my heart. He said, by the time that morning church service was over, it was gone. I thought, man, I missed an opportunity there. Productivity took, a, took the place of relationship. People need to be cared for. And I'll be honest with you, we, we have a set time. 10 o'clock is Sunday school, 11 o'clock is church, 1 o'clock or thereabouts is our afternoon service. But I'll be honest with you right now, if somebody had a spiritual need, this service can wait. The 11 o'clock service, it can wait. Because people are more important than a program. People are more important than just punching the, the, the time schedule and getting through it. And I told our staff, I said, from now on, if anybody comes to you, 
I don't care if it's on a Sunday morning right in the middle of what we're doing. I said, if they come to you, you stop and you take care of them. And I said, if you don't get done what I've asked you to do, all you've got to do is say, Brother Greg, this person came to me and we're fine. Because we need to learn and re-engage this thing of relationship over productivity. Number seven and we're done. We need to value influence over accomplishments. We need to value influence over accomplishments. Influence is something that does not need to toot its own horn. Accomplishments are things that we always are going around spouting off about. In fact, we, we tend to overvalue our accomplishments. You ever notice that? I am, uh, I'll be 50 years old in October. The older I get, the better I used to be at basketball. I'm going to tell you what. I, 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 you, know, you know how it is. Your stories get embellished over the years. By the time I was done, I mean, I was an NBA draft pick. They just didn't see me. We tend to overvalue our accomplishments. But can I tell you this? Influence, we tend to undervalue. Influence is something we're not going to go out and brag about. It's just something we're going to be when we're in front of folks. Some people would call it character. I've got two, two kids that are here local that I still have daily influence over. I can tell them about my accomplishments, but I'd far rather influence them. By the way, there's an entire world of lost people that are looking at Christians and seeing a lot of Christians tout their accomplishments, but not a lot of influence. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very well-known chapter. We're not going to read the entire chapter. I'm just going to go through a few verses here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What do you think Paul's getting at here? Our accomplishments, they really aren't that important. Our influence, it means the world. I hope these will be a help to you. I, I came across the article. Boy, I, I sat there and some of it I wept through because I realized I'm missing that. I'm missing it. And I hope that we'll review these regularly. These are all things that God has given us in Scripture. He prioritizes them for us. We just oftentimes don't look at them that way. We don't see them. We don't think of them that often. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. What a joy it is to have Your Word instruct us in the ways of righteousness Lord, I pray that You would help us to come to it every time we come to it with the heart that is hungering and thirsting for it. 
May we take these things that we've learned today from Your Word and put them into our lives. Lord, may they become the priorities. May we make them the focus of our lives. May we make them the zeal, the passion of our lives. And Father, that we could be able to glorify You more and more. That we would be able to be a vessel of honor that is emptied and fit for the Master's use. Father, we ask that You'll dismiss us throughout this week. I pray that You would provide opportunity for us. And Lord, may may we be sensitive and aware of those times of opportunity. And I pray that You would help us to bring honor and glory to You in everything we say, everything that we do. May we uplift each other, one another, and the burdens that are on the hearts of so many. Many of the requests that were mentioned today, Lord, so much heartache and burden. May we continue to regularly uplift each other and to bear one another's burdens this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss us with your blessings. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.